the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The views and opinions expressed by Rob Black and his guests are not necessarily those of KDOW or its management owners or advertisers and should not be construed as legal tax or investment advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making any investment or financial planning decision. Welcome in. Rob Black and your money. I'm Rob Black talking to all things financial. Money investing in more. Been an interesting two days because we had a lot of Federal Reserve thrown into the stock market yesterday. Now, again, this show is about a lot of things, but number one, it's about getting you to retirement. Um, so, obviously, a big focus is retirement issues, obviously, um, funding of the 401k in the stock market. But we'll also talk a little politics. We'll talk some other issues, some mergers and acquisitions. For instance, there's a big one today. E-Trade's going down. Morgan Stanley's going to acquire them in, again, kind of a fintech, uh, financial tech. Uh, Robinhood has made trading free. Why have E-Trade if you're going to have Robinhood? Therefore, it's all about the number of assets that you have, the amount of clients that you have. And uh, it seems like the industry has uh, further ways to go. There's been a lull in the bull market in the last 24 to 48 hours as we're not really bouncing. <clears throat> we're not really ripping to new highs after a small pullback. So I know you're saying that's a lull. If that qualifies as a lull, then that's a lull. <clears throat> so today we opened a little lower, but where do we go in the next hour, two hours? <clears throat> We'll tell you if the market's kind of got that battling spirit and or not. Goldman Sachs, for their part, thinks the market is underestimating the coronavirus risk and believes a near-term correction is looking more and more probable. So now you're saying, who's Goldman Sachs? Is that some guy like Midas? Is that some gold touch thing that I need to be aware of? Not, you know, what you need to know about Goldman Sachs is that they're a big company. So if they have one analyst who's an economist or a market strategist who comes out and says the world is underestimating the coronavirus and you don't even read their note yet, and I'll read it later this morning, but if he says something along the lines of it could be 10 times worse or 100 times worse, or maybe there's a cover-up and it already is 100 times worse, like we don't know how bad it's going to get. So he's kind of giving that painting that picture of it's going to get worse and there's going to be a bigger slowdown. So it won't be a a small hiccup where we send people back to the factories a couple days later and and giggle about it. There's a leading quant strategist out there from JP Morgan Chase, who's arguing that defensive stocks along with bonds, low volatility stocks have bubble like form and are apt to collapse at some point in time. I agree that the bond market looks frothy. I can't say that low volatility, low volatility stocks look frothy because that could be a definition that I'm not really looking for. 
Is it low volatility, low valuation, or is it just low volatility stocks? And if they're getting frothy, is that because it's rotation from winners into big blue chip names, into small cap non-international, into bonds, into, you get the idea. Where's it rotating into? So that Morgan, uh, that J.P. Morgan Chase analyst went on to say on CNBC that some tech stocks have unsustainable valuations, and that investors should think about rotating into value stocks, commodity stocks, and emerging markets. That's really, really solid, hardcore, correct type of advice. Except for maybe it's not. Again, this is where you're going to have to consult a broker advisor before taking any action on any stocks mentioned. Ten-year Treasury sits at 1.54%. That's certainly good news if you're looking to refinance a mortgage or to get a mortgage or to take on some long-term debt. If you're a corporation and want to borrow money, um, if it's going to be based on that number, that's a pretty good economic stimulus. The downside on that is, is that it's a pretty good economic stimulus. Banks would like to charge more. But they want to get your business, and they want to get you in, and they want to get you approved. That's their way of doing it, lowering rates, the Federal Reserve's way of doing it. So, taking a look at initial claims, they're still very, very low at 210,000. Continuing claims for the week ending February 8th increased by 25,000, 1.72 million units. The key takeaway from this is that... Initial claims, i.e. people that we fire for the first time, are still at ultimately very low levels. Um, So that should increase non-farm payrolls. We're at or near full employment. The Federal Reserve, some key members are starting to say that out loud, which means it's probably as good as it's going to get with wage inflation, with your ability to jump ship and tell your boss, take this job and shove it. So back to that um, jobs number real quick, the first-time unemployment number. It's probably as good as it's going to get. Keep in mind the Federal Reserve wants to fight inflation. Wage inflation is kind of a good inflation. Consumer cost inflation, kind of a bad one. Too much wage inflation is bad. Too much wage inflation, like too little is bad. You want it just kind of right. Too much in corporations don't make as much profits, and they'll probably fire people down the road. Too little, and it doesn't keep up with the cost of living and rent, and people have a housing crisis. So you kind of want that just in the middle, just right kind of number. The People's Bank of China is in the news today following through with a 10 basis point cut in their one-year prime rate to 4.05%. You hear about our 10-year treasury at 1.54. Their five-year is 4.75. So they have a much hotter economy, much more inflation. That's the thought. A lot of people are going to say a lot of things about uh, China. and It kind of comes with the territory. It's not the wild, wild west of the stock market. But China definitely has some caveats that come with it of, are you comfortable with that? 
The Shanghai Composite has recouped everything that it lost following the reopening of the extended Lunar New Year break. That's kind of important in large part because we look at Shanghai as, hey, isn't SARS right there? Isn't the coronavirus right there? Isn't the, the hub of the problem right there? So when they sold off, it made a lot of sense because that's where a lot of the economic shutdown is. If we see them back, we've already come back in the United States from our uh, coronavirus sell-off to back above. Now, the next question is, where is the next move on the market go? Domino's Pizza reported same-store sales above analyst expectations for the first time in over a year. You can invest in pizza. I almost want you to consider something along those lines as a first investment in a stock. Invest in something you know. Just kind of so you could follow it a little bit closer and you can kind of get the ups and downs. I don't expect the average person to invest in individual stocks. I don't want them to. But I know that there's that, that siren call to do it. Domino's has been operating new stores and opening new stores, launching new menu items, opening faster delivery times, trying to battle up competition. We'll talk about this button much, much more. You can listen to the show at robblackshow.com. You can find me online at newfocusfinancial.com. That's newfocusfinancial.com. Catch Rob Black and Rob Black and Your Money live on the Bay Area Airwaves. Weekday mornings from 7 to 9 on AM 1220 KDOW and streaming live on the KDOW radio app or KDOW.biz. Morgan Stanley is buying E-Trade. Long live Morgan Stanley. E-Trade, one of the things that throws out in my head instantly is the E-Trade Super Bowl commercials, right? You probably remember the year was 2000, 2001. Uh, Things were getting a little bit frothy. It's interesting to note that Super Bowl commercials haven't gone down in price, even though dot-com stocks kind of pushed them up in price. You saw a lot of uh, Super Bowl commercials for ridiculous dot-com services as a way of, well, if we get a million hits off the Super Bowl ad, well, that'll increase our revenue. If that increases our revenue, that'll increase the eyeballs. If that increases the eyeballs, then Wall Street will fall in love with us. So E-Trade's going down. Interesting. E-Trade's 5.2 million customer accounts. have $360 billion in assets and a leading business that manages corporate stock plans. Uh, that's a pretty good combination. So Morgan Stanley is kind of the investment bank for rich people um, and for corporations. And for them to say, let's get into the masses and go after E-Trade, it kind of comes back to last year when Apple started their Apple card and they sided with Goldman Sachs to be the provider, it's kind of like, whoa, Goldman Sachs never deals with average people. <clears throat> Morgan Stanley never deals with average people. But now they're kind of being forced to deal with average people because that's the, the trend is your friend, so to speak, in investing and in financial technology. Let's give everyone stuff for free, like free brokerage accounts, free trading accounts. High interest deposit accounts. Okay. Um, So the big boys take notice of it at some point in time. So the CEO, James Gorman, his move has doubled down on his all-in bet on the U.S. wealth management industry. 
E-Trade's 5.2 million customers accounts have 360 billion in assets. And um, the deal, when it's done, Morgan Stanley will have broadened its franchise with more direct-to-consumer brokerages uh, as far as the platform goes. On top of its lead investment bank and army of high-end financial advisors catering to multi-millionaires. Wealth management is going to make up about 60% of the tax, uh, the firm's pre-tax profits. It's kind of interesting the way that's working out. Um, TD Ameritrade got acquired. Um, in large part, you're seeing the whole vanguards, the fidelities, that whole financial institution as you know it consolidating. And I guess it goes back to the 1990s on some levels when President Clinton let banks deregulate. Banks could become brokerage firms. Brokerage firms could become insurance companies. Insurance companies could become banks. It used to be that there was a wall between those three and that they couldn't merge and interact. And that gave you some protections on some levels. Um, And then we said, hey, it's more competitive and they can create more interesting product if they deregulate it. Um, I would say that was kind of like step one. Step two, when Robinhood, the app, popularized the idea that most retail stock trades should be free, the industry started consolidating. That's a big one today. I know you're saying, that's a good story, Forrest. It's a good story. 800-516-1220 to each calls on the air. You know the credit card companies and uh, how they offer all these perks. One of the perks that they offer for the traveler is the lounge. And now we're seeing Capital One is going to open its first airport lounge in 2021. It's going to be at Dulles Airport in Washington, D.C. Again, what what is, is Capital One a financial company or are they a financial company that runs lounges? American Express operates nine Centurion lounges. So Capital One's now diving into the airport lounge experience slash business model. Um, lounges are areas that you can kind of get into after you slip through security. Premium liquors, wines, dining, quiet rooms, workout room, conference room, shower room, spa, children's playrooms. And it's all tied towards it's a reward on a card. If you have a, you know, like a Capital One Venture card or a Platinum card from American Express. Again, the thing that I wanted to throw out to you is like we're merging a lot of industries. And I don't think there's a a lounge industry that you can invest in per se. But will that sway your credit card um, acquisition choice? It could if you're a traveler. 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. Big debate last night. I would say it was a night of duking it out on the debate stage. It paid off big time for Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders. Their campaigns both recorded the most contributions ever on a debate day. Warren's campaign pulled in $2.8 million following the event. Sanders' campaign pulled in $2.7 million. There's big business in politics, right? Um, Michael Bloomberg, the billionaire, the billionaire, and his wife. Don't go on a cruise, Michael. Don't go on a cruise. 
Um, but Sanders and Warren both really aggressively went after Bloomberg last night. <clears throat> Bloomberg spent about $400 million of his personal fortune on campaign ads. So Bloomberg doesn't take campaign donations, which is pretty interesting. Um, <clears throat> the harshest blow of the night came from Warren, who referred to Bloomberg as a billionaire who calls women fat broads and horse-faced lesbians. Did I tell you they took off the boxing gloves last night? I'm telling you, they took off the boxing gloves last night. Sanders, the current frontrunner in most national polls, holds a 19-point edge in Nevada. So when does it start snowballing? Does it start snowballing? When does the great equalizer come to the table? I don't know. I'm not a political guy in any way, shape, or form. Victoria's Secret, ooh la la la. Now we're talking. They're going private. In a deal that values the once powerful lingerie brand at $1.1 billion. Now, for the longest time that I've been doing this show, you could buy a company like a Victoria's Secret, but it was part of a company called L Brands. And with L Brands, you also get Bed Bath and Bed Bath and Body Works. That for some reason, no, it's not Bed Bath. It's just Bath and Body Works. It's Bed Bath and Beyond. It's Bath and Body Works. Um, so the soap and shampoo company, Bath and Body Works, has been just crushing Victoria's Secret. So now this opens up L Brands a little bit more. L Brands has been recently facing their own pressure following the disclosure of its tie to the late sex criminal Jeffrey Epstein. Was he murdered or was he not? I don't have that answer for you. But you can find me online at Rob Black Show, Twitter Rob Black Show, YouTube or Rob Black Show. If you want to get a copy of this podcast, if you want to get some great downloadables and some good content to digest, check out newfocusfinancial.com. That's newfocusfinancial.com. Want the podcast with music? Find the link to the other version of the podcast by going to Rob Black's Twitter. His handle is at Rob Black Show. Listen to Rob Black and Your Money weekday mornings, 7 to 9 on AM 1220 KDOW. Domino's Pizza is up 17%. How's that for a slice of pizza, right? A slice of pie. Zillow Group jumps 14% as revenues beat expectations. Zillow is a website dedicated to real estate information. How much is your home worth? While you're looking that up, do you want to sell it? And if you do, do you want to use this agent? And if you use that agent, do you want to use this brokerage firm? So they kind of got a kind of a still very old school business model. They're moving into a different business model of buying and selling homes. And that brings up a question of what are you buying when you buy that stock? I think that may be the theme of the day today. Morgan Stanley, a big corporate uh, investment firm, acquiring E-Trade, a big consumer investment firm. The Super Bowl commercial that you have to remember was an E-Trade commercial, and it was a rocket that was going up at 45-degree angles, and there was a monkey on it, and basically... It was the stock market and the monkey going up in the stock market. If this monkey can do it, anyone can do it kind of thing. And that was kind of the beginning of the end when we saw that commercial. That was kind of the beginning of the end of the dot-com revolution. Virgin Galactic is kind of a 21st century dot-com stock where it's just going up and we don't really know why. 
It's up 310% in the last three months. Morgan Stanley says the space tourism stock is due for a bit of a breather. When an analyst says the stock is due for a bit of a breather, what's that mean? A modest correction uh, is what he's saying. Of note, Virgin Galactic up 310% in the last three months. It's up another 5% today. Anheuser-Busch is in the news, being downgraded to underweight from neutral. I like trying to figure out what analysts are thinking. So I'll read that report later today. To me, downgrades are, I kind of find them more entertaining than upgrades. Wells Fargo downgraded advanced micro devices to equal weight from overweight. AMD's stock has been on a tear. If you listen to this show, you know that. They make video game cards, and they got caught up a little bit in the we-can-help-manufacturer-in-mind Bitcoin. But that seems to have passed, and now it's all about your server chips and your graphic chips and your CPU chips, of which they're doing well on all three. They've got a good product line right now. Their biggest competition, NVIDIA. So gold is in the news today, and I'm talking gold finger, baby. Gold finger. Gold hits a seven-year high as investors are piling into the safe haven trade. The metal is on pace for its sixth straight positive day. $1,621 an ounce. I'm not a big fan of gold. I don't know if it's that I'm not old enough to see the wisdom in it. Or if I'm old enough to see that it was a story 2,000 years ago. When queens from around the world, and this isn't 2,000 years ago, this is more like 500 years ago, right? When queens would go... Chris, Chris, take a boat. Take three boats and go go find gold. Go find spices. Gold's just not that interesting to me. So the queen sends people out to find gold in the United States. And we woo And then we're like, well, we got to find more gold. So we go to California. There's a lot of gold in California. And we do our whole gold rush thing. Gold's just not that interesting to me as an investment. It's a rock. Now, again, it it represents fear and some jewelry. It may be a little satellite play, but eh, not for me. So the metal is on pace for its sixth straight positive day and eighth straight positive week in nine. So about nine weeks ago, we start talking a little bit more about the new year. Then comes the coronavirus. And that would be, where can we go that's safe? Last year, we made a ton of money in the stock market. If we were to sell it, where do we go? Do we go to bonds? Well, they look kind of extended. Do we go to value stocks? Well, they look kind of extended. So you go to gold. That's just not my play. But again, I'm not telling you not to. I'm saying it's just not my kind of play. 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. Anything that you want to talk about, we can talk about money investing in more. Tesla Cybertruck orders are piling up. Tesla's a duh. It's a stock that I wish I owned in hindsight. Hindsight is always twenty twenty, And I wish I, I still wouldn't own it, though. It doesn't qualify for anything that makes my sense of rules. 
Now, again, probably the most intriguing thing on Tesla is the electric vehicle penetration in the world is about 2 to 3%. And that's certainly going to grow. So you see that there's copycats out there, not copycats. You see that there's competition for the first time, really, for Tesla. And it's got a super valuation saying, I bet they can go from 2% penetration to 20% in electric vehicles. Huge jump, right? So a lot of Tesla is based on that goodwill, that they get that market share, and that the competition doesn't take any of theirs away. Tesla stock is up 120% year-to-date. Excuse me? Didn't we just have Love Day, Valentine's Day, and now you're telling me it's up 120% year-to-date? Yeah. The Cybertruck, the Cybertruck, it's got this avant-garde. That's the best way I could explain it, right? It's an avant-garde cyberpunk feel to it, which doesn't surprise you that Elon Musk loves playing video games, and he's, he's fascinated with electronic dance music and cyberpunk issues and robotics. So Tesla's already got 200,000 orders for the truck. Customers can reserve a spot for as little as $100. Um, Now, keep in mind, this is where it gets a little bit weird. You probably remember not that long ago, Tesla had what was called the Roadster. And the Roadster, Tesla said, if you want one, it's going to be a $50,000 deposit. It's kind of funky that the truck, the Cybertruck, for lack of a better name for it, um, has only a $100 bet, not bet, chip to play. The market for trucks is far larger than the niche market for very cool sports cars. Americans love their trucks. Ford Motor sells roughly 900,000 F-Series trucks each year. Ford's the king of the uh, the truck. Dodge Ram sells 500,000 models. GM and Chevy, they sell 800,000 trucks. And it's a pretty fat category as far as margins go. <clears throat> it's a stronger engine, <clears throat> stronger transmission, but a lot less luxury inside of it. A lot less technology. I'm not going to say technology. Because that would be wrong. So analysts are saying Bloomberg's debate debacle may be the beginning of the end of his 2020 run. Um, Bloomberg didn't come across as prepared. So one of the big analyst uh, polling companies, Frank Luntz, said that you know he didn't capture the tone of the audience. The whole night was challenging for him. He doesn't like to debate. Interesting that um, Mark Zuckerberg, this was revealed, I want to say, over the weekend. But he's he has a problem with flop sweat. So he actually has part of his staff, their job is to blow dry his armpits before he goes on stage. Now, I've done a lot of jobs, but I think I would probably, I'm not going to say that's going to be my suicide moment, because that's an insult to people who suffer from mental depression. But if I'm blow drying a man's armpits because he has flop sweat. I probably wasn't like an eight-year-old kid going, man, geez, I can't wait till I grow up one day. I'm going to have my own car. I'm going to have a house, my job. I'm going to be blow-drying some guy's armpits. 
but yeah, Bloomberg did not debate well. Um, so many Democrats are prioritizing socialism over capitalism right now. The average Democrat is working class. The average Democrat is middle income. And having a capitalism versus socialism debate amongst the average Democrat, Bloomberg's going to lose. So he did not do well in his debate performance. We'll see how he rebounds. And again, I think Wall Street, I think, is okay with Trump as president, as you can tell in the last couple of years. They may, Wall Street may say, you know, he's ruining the world and helping capitalism. I don't know what the, I don't know how to boil down Wall Street's impression is, but you'll see as Sanders takes the lead or as Bloomberg cuts in the edge or as Biden, does he fall out or not? Wall Street will react. It will be a big story. Um, and it, it'll set up the next four years. Stock market has opened slightly lower, but it's in kind of like, I don't want to say spitting distance, but it's within throwing distance of, of going positive. Viacom is a big lagger today. They uh, missed earnings expectations and issued disappointing 2020 numbers. Six flags missed on the bottom line and it's lowered its dividend. When companies lower the dividend, people get freaked out because that's been, a, and that sounds 16% because it used to pay 6%. I get it. Zillow, on the other hand, is up 20%. So there's winners and losers. Stick around for more. You can find me online at robblackshow.com. Don't forget, there's another hour of today's show to listen to. Find it now at kdow.biz or on the KDOW radio app. Have you heard commercials for Bombas socks? They've got two owners. It kind of has a Shark Tank vibe to it. Bombas is slowly building up its roster of wholesale partners, focusing on finding retailers that align with its one-to-one giving model and a customer demographic that fits well with new product offerings. Bombas is going after millennials. They, I don't want to say they copied the Warby Parker model of, if you buy some one of our products, we'll give a product to a needy person. Bombas has a thing where they give socks to homeless shelters because it's number one request that homeless shelters have socks kind of an odd concept, right? It's not, you'd think maybe it's food, maybe it's money, maybe it's, you know, bedding no socks. Bombas announced that it's going to begin selling its socks at Athleta's 190 plus stores. And, Again, they got a direct-to-consumer model, but now they're also going to the wholesale partner. Bombas has started selling its product through wholesale already with Nordstrom and Dick's Sporting Goods. It's showing you that the direct-to-consumer model has to have... No, no, it's not showing you that. It's showing you that it can have kind of a retail play as well. So the CEO of the company is saying, yeah, yeah, yeah. Even though you can now find our socks, Bomba socks in Dick Sporting and then Bomba socks in Nordstrom and Bomba socks soon to be in Athletics 190 plus stores, about 97% of the revenue still comes from their website. Uh, you're not getting a lot of information about the company, but we know down the road they're going to try to come public. And then you're saying, do we really need a sock company to come public? It's capitalism. 
they figured out a way of uh, packaging socks and selling them with helping the world kind of in mind. And consumers have responded to that. Direct to consumer is a big, big thought. It's a big category. Brands that start direct to consumer rarely stay that way, though. Retailers, including Target and Nordstrom, have started, you know, copying them. Um, so a Bombus being publicly traded, I don't get it. They they pull in some money. It's not like they're going to come up with SOC 2.0. Maybe they get need to, the money to like grow their distribution better, grow their website presence better, grow their marketing better. But in the end, I keep going. Aren't they selling socks? Well, this year we're going to sell socks that don't get you know waterproof socks. Next year they're going to sell uh, socks and mittens. We like our people like our socks so much they've asked us to make mittens. Uh, do you see what kind of kills me? <laughs> so it's just not that enticing of an idea for me. It's not like robot builders or drone builders. They're sock sellers. Now, if they can sell, if they can get enough millennials to go, you know what? We like that giving model. Yeah, I think it can be a play for a little bit, but I don't know if it's a long-term play. Bombus relies on a mix of in-store signage now that they're starting to get retailers to help them. Then they offer to train the employees or educate, uh, train the employees that the employees can educate the consumer who walks into like a Macy's and says, we want socks. And they go, well, here's the best brand. Um, so there's a little bit of that one-to-one model that they're trying on and what have you. But to me, the balance between their product and then having the real estate to sell their product, their real estate right now is very much so online. It, again, it feels like a Shark Tank company, right? Hey, sharks, we're here to tell you that we, you know, our socks are so good. Not only are they good for you, but they're good for the planet. They help people. Um, okay. I think the driving force for partnerships right now is revenue. Uh, the more that you can make sh- sure that your audience is there and it's aligned with your demographics. Um, I get it. It's just not that interesting to me. So it's a sock company. Strength today in the markets is um, kind of an interesting thing. We've been in a market that has been Bouncing back, buying on the dips of the coronavirus headlines. And now we're kind of going a little bit sideways. It's interesting to me. The coronavirus, if there's anything we've learned about the coronavirus, it's that uh, cruise ships get decimated with flus. I don't know why anyone would ever go on a cruise ship. Just that's me being a jerk kind of thing. I just, it's almost like you've given up. You, I'd rather go to the destination in a plane and then see it on foot than take me take me via boat. I shall cruise there. But the cruise industry remains healthy. Largely positive analysts are. You know, Apple got their day of getting hit. $15 billion in market cap wiped out because of coronavirus. 
I would have thought the cruises got hit harder than they did. Um, there's some softened demand for Royal Caribbean in the all-important wave period, which is ahead of spring and summer. They are saying the coronavirus in the United States will affect tourism, tourism to about the tune of $10 billion. But man, isn't the, uh, a cruise like ground zero for flus? And like, I, I can't imagine. But cruise passengers are going to grow to 12.4 million from 10.4 million from over the last eight million, uh, blah, 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 over the last eight years. So the cruise industry is kind of healthy, up 20 plus percent in customers. That's faster than any other travel-related industries, including restaurants, airlines, and car rentals. So they have their niche, and they're holding up well. But I am surprised by that. And it shows you that sometimes you are surprised still on Wall Street. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial. 